Hello, it is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to hang out with Matt Simons over Zoom video. Matt was born and raised in Palo Alto, Northern California, and he talks about how he got into music. His grandparents were actually opera singers on his mom's side of the family, but his mom and dad were not musicians, music lovers, but not musicians. He started playing saxophone at a very early age. He also got into jazz, went to college for jazz performance in New York. From there, he started performing in the Brooklyn area, writing and releasing songs. He talked about the success of the song With You, which was chosen for a Dutch soap opera. It was like the theme song to the Dutch soap opera. So that started doing really well. He put out a song called Catch and Release that did really well. And then the remix version of the song went number one across multiple countries. He talked about having such major success in Netherlands and then having that huge success in uh, Europe and how that really didn't translate here to the U.S. until recently. He told us about the record after the landslide and all about this brand new record called Identity Crisis. You can watch our interview with Matt on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It would be awesome if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it would be amazing if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Matt Simons. Hey, hey. Hey, Matt, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I appreciate you doing this. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm Adam, and this podcast is about you, uh, your journey in music, and we'll talk about the record you have coming out as well. Sounds like a plan. Cool. And I appreciate you doing this in the midst of tour. Aren't you like in Colorado or something right now? We are. We just rolled into... Broomfield, right outside of Denver. We're playing the, the First Bank Center tonight. It's going to be fun. Wow. How's the tour going? Exhausted? It's great, man. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, getting back into the swing of things after being being off for so long. But it's like, you know, it's three weeks. And then we get like a three-week break. And then it's three more weeks in Europe. So Very cool. End of 2019, I did like an eight-week straight run. And that starts to get a little starts to weigh on you a little bit oh yeah um, was, wow were you able to great. wrap that tour up before covid hit yeah we just december of 2019 oh so wow really a few months just a few months before that's crazy that's crazy oh we'll get into that um and also real quick congratulations man you have a billion streams on spotify i saw that instagram Thanks. picture yeah. that's wild that's, that's yeah it's, the number doesn't even seem real doesn't even make any sense so it's pretty Crazy. good very cool and i read you grew up in palo alto yeah i grew up in oh, palo alto northern california northern california went to new york for like 15 years and now i'm back living in la so wow what was it here. like uh growing up in palo alto i mean obviously it's big tech i'm from san diego i lived in the barrier oh you are bit, so oh okay awesome i know a little bit about uh you know california in that sense but i I'm curious to know what it was like growing up like in Palo Alto. Did you see that whole boom of, you know, the internet and all that? Definitely. I mean, you know, it really started to, to change and, you know, cause when growing up, it was kind of just regular old suburb of San Francisco, mm -hmm. 
I feel like in the mid nineties is when like tech companies really started to, to move in. And in the two thousands is when like Facebook and YouTube and Google, all, you know, all the, all the big, the big heavy hitters came in and really changed the, it changed the landscape. I, you know, for better, for worse, I don't know, not Mm -hmm. for me to judge, but um, it's cool going, going back. And a lot of people have moved away because their houses got really, valuable so sold oh, them yeah. off and kind of and kind of <laughs> cut and run which is which is cool for them yeah. you know? no no for sure um actually my family and i we just moved to nashville about a year ago so oh you did awesome <laughs> we're, we're kind of the cut and run type cut and run. <laughs> hey then we, you know more power to you do what you uh, gotta do yeah that's funny when i lived in it's wild to think even like when i lived in the bay area uh like they were just moving, like Twitter hadn't gone public yet, but they were just moving it to like the, like what's it off market now? Like in, it's in the middle of like the tenderloin, I think. Yeah. Yeah. They're all like, camp, they got a big campus there to think that it's there. Like I, my mind can't even like, I haven't been there since. So like trying to visualize that is so crazy to me. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I, I haven't, I've never, I've never really lived in San Francisco. So I don't know. A lot of people say that big tech, ruined the city but maybe some people say it saved it i don't know who's who's right, right. There. i mean where they put it it's kind of there was a spot that was kind of a little rugged i mean it was in the, yeah. the tenor so. that's, that's what, what it was known for right right <laughs> rough, rough around the edges sure did you go to san francisco quite a bit as a kid or not really oh yeah i would go up there just just as something to do you know it's like okay. a teenager and in high school it was kind of the place we're not going to San Jose, so you can go to San Francisco, just kind of walk around Haight-Ashbury and just kind of people watch. And sure. you know, I was actually fairly well behaved, so I was, I was actually not, I wasn't up to no good. I was, okay. we were just, 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 just hanging around, just, just loitering, I guess. Sure. Would you go to shows there or go see shows in uh, San Jose? I mean, there's not a whole lot of venues in San Jose now I'm thinking about it, but no, like, if Shoreline's think- close to you. Or it would be close. I would actually, you know where I would go a lot? Cause I, I did a lot of jazz. I would go to Yoshi's in Oakland. So that's oh, okay. like yeah, yeah, Jack, yeah. Jack London square. Sure. Yoshi's like the really cool touring jazz acts would go through there. And I, I would catch a lot of those sets and it was really fun. That's awesome. And you kind of, you grew up in a musical household, right? Your grandparents are opera singers. Is that what I read? Yeah. On my, on my mom's side, there's a lot of music. Okay. Was your and, mom a musician at all or dad? No, I, th- I think having musician, parents made she wanted to she never had any interest (laughs) (laughs) it's interesting how that works (laughs) yeah it's just like sometimes it's all you want to do because your parents do it sometimes it's like i don't know nothing to do with it (laughs) yeah you're just like absolutely not (laughs) Uh, my dad loves loves music and he would always have always a guitar out and you know he does his saturday night music with his friends and it's in the pandemic it's become saturday afternoon music and they play out in the park but they've been doing it for like 15 years or something wow. every Saturday. So, a nice so you'd tradition. see him play growing up. Oh yeah. And he, he always played in like dead garage bands and That's played awesome. gigs around at the, the local preschools and stuff like that. He played the drums and yeah. I just, wow. And then when I got a little older, I would bring my saxophone and then sit in with him. That was fun. That's awesome. What was the first instrument you learned? You know, I started on piano when I was really young and I moved to like woodwinds and to clarinet and then mm-hmm. I kind of, I found saxophone and that was my, my go-to for a long time. I, I, that was my major in college. And I would always play piano and write songs on the side, but 
you know, in jazz, if you make pop music, you kind of got to keep it a secret. So. Oh, okay. So you did jazz, what, all through middle school? High, you're in the jazz band? Middle school, yeah, yeah, all the jazz band. And then in, in college, got my, my degree in jazz performance. Where did you end up going for school? Berkeley? SUNY, SUNY Purchase. Okay. Just up in like White Plains, New York. It's just like an hour outside of, of New York City. And then after graduating, it was an easy move to Brooklyn from there. Okay. Were you songwriting there or was it all in the just, I mean, or I were like you just mainly playing secretly, saxophone? secretly songwriting? You know, I would go to the practice room and I'd put in my time on, on the horn and then I would like play my own little songs and then not really play them for anybody. Okay. When like did that a, change? Like, when did you switch to more of the, the songwriting? It was kind of after, after school that I decided that I didn't want to, I didn't have the love for, for jazz in the way that it would like require the skill level that it would require to be a, a you know, a fully fledged jazz musician. I just didn't love it enough, mm-hmm. but you know, I do love songwriting and pop music. And I thought, you know, maybe I could, I could give this a go. And that probably happened when I was 21, 22. And were you living there. in New York at the time? Yeah, living in Brooklyn, playing a lot. And I started playing a lot of gigs on keyboard, uh, a lot of cover gigs, a lot of bars, a lot of weddings, you know, private parties, that kind of stuff. And then when did your, like, like you know, you as an artist kind of start releasing songs or playing out? When did that happen? You know, I had, when I, when I was just like my last year of college, I did make a little EP that mm-hmm. I uh, would advertise on the internet. So like right at the beginning of Facebook ads, I would, oh, okay. I would make those ads that say like, are you a fan of John Mayer? Like check this guy out. He's not John Mayer. Like, <laughs> okay. are you a fan of Jason Mraz? Like, well, maybe you like me. And no one else was really doing it. So it was really cheap. I would spend about a dollar a day. And I mm-hmm. think by the, you know, I got, I ended up having like 10,000 Facebook fans. Wow. Um, I learned very quickly that, internet fans do not necessarily equal real life people that will come to your show by touring and having zero people show up a lot of the time. Okay. (laughs) But there was one woman who clicked, clicked on an ad in the Netherlands. And when I released my first full length album, she was a, she's a writer on a TV show in the Netherlands and she placed one of my songs onto that TV show. And it was like overnight became this, kind of viral hit over there and that was 2013 really yeah and you can trace it back to one of those yeah dollar a day ads that's crazy Uh, so did she uh, like email you or something and say hey we're gonna we want to use your song and then you're like yeah sure why not it's funny the rules with with licensing in europe they don't have to ask they can just put your song in a show there's a blanket (laughs) license agreement so i woke up one day and I had like a message from Sony Music Netherlands in my inbox. And I had a song that was charting on iTunes over in the Netherlands. And I was like, what is going on? And then finally, some, some people started sending me the, the clip of the, of the show. And it was pretty special. It was cool. That is. Really that's, yeah. that's, that's wild. You've had, a, I mean, a massive success overseas. And when you saw that, was that just a kind of a trip? Like, okay, like this song is doing really well. Do you then go... I need to go to the Netherlands and start doing shows there because this thing is working. Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly what I did. You know, I, that led to 
you know, record label management, booking agent. I book immediately booked a like eleven show tour just in the Netherlands, and it all sold out. With you know, I never had sold that many tickets before. But it was all specifically like you go to Belgium and no one even like go to Germany right next door, no one would have any idea. Interesting. So it was extremely isolated to the Netherlands for a few years. Wow. Well, was the label and booking agent and everything in the Netherlands? Or are they the ones oh, yeah. that signed All you? Sony Music Netherlands. Uh, wow. The booking agent was this promoter called Mojo, and they would book all my shows for me. Yeah. That's crazy to think like, you know, you have all the success in one country and then being so close to the next, it's just it like it. Yeah. But all, obviously now you do. But it was like at the time, that must have been pretty bizarre. Like, OK, I can go to this one country and it's just like I'm this huge deal. <laughs> yeah. And it's like and it's like the size of Connecticut, you know, like population wise. Right. It's like I'm big in Stamford and Bridgeport. And like, if you go to New Hampshire. No, no luck. No one's going to it was definitely a, a very, a very much a modern music industry story where you just like something you never would have thought. Was, uh-huh. It would not have been probably not have been possible, you know, before the internet and streaming. Mm-hmm. And a similar thing with when you put out Catch and Release, right? Well, that was remixed, but it also did really well when you put it out originally, didn't it? The original did well, but only in the Netherlands. So it was like again, it charted okay. like again only in the Netherlands, and then this was right at the onset of like Tropical House. Mm-hmm. And I just remember telling my my manager, like, I think this song could work as a remix because i also some i feel like some people on soundcloud were already start like some very rudimental remixes that the idea the concept was there but it just the execution like left a little something to be desired oh they but tried thought, like, you, you had heard it already like some i had heard like some a few people had tried to remix it in that tropical house and it's like okay well this remix is like kind of bad but <laughs> if someone were to do it really well i think I it could work. work and luckily you know my and my manager knows a lot of the, the, the Dutch EDM scene is so huge. So mm-hmm. he contacted Armin Van Buren's company and they sent a few different DJs over and we got the deep end version. And I was like, this is, this is it, this song, this is exactly what we're looking for. And, and from there, yeah, from there, I think it's actually started in Belgium was the first country to go number one, like way mm-hmm. before anyone else, anywhere else. And then Germany and France picked it up and, and went from there to Spain and kind of all around. I don't know how many countries it was. It was number one, but it was, it was, a, it was a lot. It was cool. It was a lot, but that's cool to see, you know, you had the isolated Netherlands and now it's like really starting to branch out across Europe. Right. And that's when I got, could find, do like a real full continental European tour. And instead of, you know, you don't need a tour bus to tour in the Netherlands. You just, it's, everything's an hour and a half away. So I <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, started to do, you know, the whole, the whole thing and uh, going or going all around. And yeah, it was, it was pretty exciting. Were you doing tours in the U S at that time or were you mainly sticking there because you're seeing so much success? I had done a lot of touring in the U S mm-hmm. and it was just a lot of driving and, you know, because there was truly not nothing going on in the U.S., it was all in Europe. Um, I took a hiatus from the U.S. tour, mm-hmm. touring. And I, I, would, I eventually got back there in like 2018. I did um, with uh, some, some successes, some shows, you know, I think, what, what was it, Philadelphia? There were like 13 people there. That was, you know, which would have really excited me at the beginning. Like, wow, 13 people came to my show. I'm used to two. 
Right. But, uh, I was like kind of driving around being like, uh, is this worth it? <laughs> okay. Is this something that I feel like the time could be better spent? So, well, But you had, I mean, even when Catch and Release came out, you were getting some pretty, I mean, you weren't you on the Today Show and doing things like that? That kind of came with it. It just didn't land like it did. When you, what I, you, I mean, just, I was, we had Reno and Republic Records was pushing it. You know, mm-hmm. they're like the number one label for radio. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, it got AAA. I think we're like top five on AAA radio. That's huge. Which, so. which is great. You know, it didn't, but for them, for like a Republic, that's not interesting enough for them. So they kind of like lose interest and then it sort of loses steam. And, you know, it, it didn't, it didn't fill the audience the way that it did in Europe. Okay. Just the just the way, I've I've actually seen that a lot with with different songs that were massive hits in Europe come to the U.S. and they just perform on AAA. Right. There was like Rag and Bone Man had that song Human. Oh yeah, that I, was huge. Phenomenal song. Like literally everywhere in Europe. Mm-hmm. And you look at how it did in America. It was like AAA radio. Right. Well, I worked uh, for an alternative radio station in San Diego at the time, and we played it for a little bit, and then like some the we it was bizarre because we had our alternative station and then in the same building we had a top 40 station so we could watch we'd see like stuff crossover like it was like portugal right. the man or 21 pilots and it would be all over the now it's like glass animals but like right. it was funny to see because that when they tried to do that here i maybe because the success was so doing so well in europe I mean, and it's such a it's just such a universally it's just a, such an incredible song that there's no reason it shouldn't have worked right but they put this like really like this like trap beat under it that didn't wasn't on the original oh. recording to like speed it yeah. up. And I was just like, what the heck? Cause I remember going to the next studio over and being like, what the hell are you like? Do you do like a remix of this? And the, the, the guy on the air is like, no, like this is the song. What are you talking about? I'm like, no, it's not like go to this cart number in our computer and play the real one. And he's like, right, Oh wow. To, like crazy. Try to fix something, <laughs> try to fix something that wasn't broken. Right. Exactly. It was just, it's, yeah, it was very interesting how that, how that all like kind of happened. I think it's a classic tale. Like I'll say, I mean, I feel like the U S needs, it's hard to like, is, yeah. What is that song? Is it alternative? Is it, you know, kind of not R and B. Is it like, you can't, you need to have like clearly defined, like this is a country song. This is a singer songwriter song. And I kind of feel like that's what happened with uh, catch and release. It's like, it's, is it singer songwriter or is it dance music? Like, you know, mm-hmm. they want their dance music to be like full of Vici, you know, like that <laughs> right. needs to be the day. Like what is this kind of like mellow dance? Like there's no room for that. And, right. But in Europe, in Europe, it's just like, we like this song. So we play the song. Sure. Sure. Here it has to be very like in a box. Like, okay. Yeah. We know the song will go onto AAA radio and people will play it. Like right. if it's got, a, yeah, it's really interesting. That's, it's fascinating to see that massive success you have there. And like, being able to go over there and tour, like, had you ever been to Europe at that point or were you, I, you know, I'd done some DIY. Like I did, we did a lot. I did a lot of DIY touring. Actually, my buddy, Chris Ayer, who's on this, he's playing guitar with me on this, on this tour Oh, awesome. we're doing that we're doing now. And we started about like a decade ago and we would just, we would literally look at like, okay, what cities on Facebook have the most fans. And then like, let's try and book a tour around that. And we would go and we did do, a lot of stuff in the UK and we made it to Amsterdam. We did, I did like two separate trips and we played two shows in Amsterdam that were just like, one was in a restaurant and the other one was on a boat. It's like this little, it's called the tricky theater and it was on a boat in Amsterdam. 
and they were great shows. We would have like, I mean, 150 people turned up, which was that's awesome. certainly of our DIY shows. That's as good as it gets. That's as good as it got. Like mm-hmm. you're not going to, we played a lot of shows to nobody and played a lot of shows to 10 people, which then you feel like it's almost, you don't want your audience to feel embarrassed that they're at a show to see you. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. they kind of like get there and go, Oh, we thought there was more going on than this. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that was played a lot of that for, but it's also one of those things where nowadays or now they can be like, Oh my gosh. Like I remember seeing him when 10 people are there. And now, I mean, you were just here in Nashville and you played Bridgestone Arena. Totally. And that's the best case scenario is when, <laughs> when, when, when people can look back and say like, wow, I got to see them when. But yeah. at the time, uh, I, I, there was not, I didn't have a ton of confidence that that would be what was going to eventually happen. So it just kind of felt bad in the moment, but it's all a part of the process. Sure, sure. Well, from there, like, when did you start? seeing like more momentum uh, you know on this side of the world as far as like us goes you know i the funny thing about catch and release is it's been a real it's been a slow burn Mm -hmm. uh because it didn't have that big spike in radio people are still discovering that song Mm -hmm. so it's kind of stayed like the number of streams it gets every day has stayed consistent for the last like five or six years like it doesn't go down wow that's awesome. Which means, which means a lot more. And it is one of those songs that people, they might not know my name, but they, a lot of people have heard that. It's like that Sirius XM radio and people have just oh, yeah. come across it. You mm-hmm. know, not, not everybody, maybe one out of every five people you talk to is like, Oh, I, I know that song. So it's just kind of been a, been a slow burn. And, and then this, I mean, you know, playing Bridgestone arena, like I'm not headlining that, that room. I'm not, but still you're on the tour bringing all those fans in there, but being on the, yeah. And getting to play for that many people every night in America has been a real, a real treat. That's awesome. I I didn't necessarily earn it. uh, Well, yeah, I, I would, you know, not agree with that, but you obviously been doing this for a long time. You put your so much work in, you've got a ton of songs, a ton of records out and you're, you're doing, you know, you're playing Bridgestone Arena because they could have gotten somebody else if they didn't think you know That's you true. would you That's would true. you would fulfill it. But um, you said you were doing what you said eight weeks in a row before COVID happened. Yeah, in twenty in twenty nineteen, I put out a record after the landslide, and I mm-hmm. I basically told my booking agent, I was like, in Europe, anywhere that will have me, I want to go. So I want to go to okay. a bunch of new. I wanted to go. We went to Finland. We went to Sweden. I had never played before. Went to the Baltics, like Latvia and Lithuania. So we just did any European city that we could get, like a, a you know a two hundred to a thousand person club, mm-hmm. and it ended up being a really um, great experience. And I got to you know connect with you know some different some places I've been meaning to go and play, and to see just kind of explore like okay who's who's here who, who's who's the audience here. Mm-hmm. And so, but when you get back is when everything shuts down or not long after you get back. Yeah. You know, I, you know, it may have been my fault because at the end of that year, I was like, I'm going to take a break. Oh, so, okay. So you already kind of knew that you were going to, what, write this uh, yeah, next record? I mean, uh, I was, yeah, write a new record. It just kind of moved, like my wife and I moved right okay. before the pandemic started. So yeah, you know, I like to say that it was my fault that we all had to shut down. I think because <laughs> I, I at New Year's made a wish that I travel less. 
Oh, so, so then everyone the, the monkey's paw. So I I apologize oh, okay. as the as the center of the universe. I apologize for, <laughs> for doing that. Oh well, okay. That that's that's pretty funny. But when you're now okay, you wanted a break. Then it's now this pandemic's happening. I can't leave the house. Are you uninspired at this point? When do you start working on this record that's coming out? And what next well, month? I, you know, I probably had about five or six songs that were okay. done for a new album by the time uh, everything shut down. And then, you know, I just wanted to start really, I did a, doing a waterfall release for this mm-hmm. record, which is singles, just because the algorithm favors singles over putting out just a record all at once, especially right. if you're, if you're not a huge artist, I feel like that it's unfortunate because it's pretty anticlimactic. Like by the time this album comes out, there will only be three new songs that haven't been released yet. But I feel like that's, yeah, you, you kind of want to do that, right? You're giving each song its own space and its own light. If you didn't have yeah, a song that you could put out as a single every time, then maybe like, there's no real album cuts anymore, which I think is cool. It's just, it's changed. It's just changing. I, you know, I, I like, I like thinking about, I mean, I feel like artists enjoy thinking about like an album as this is a phase of my life. And if you just have singles that are rolling all the time, it's tough to make one like coherent statement. I see what you're saying. But But this this is how we chose to do it this time. And I think, but in that same, like what I'm wondering, like, do you feel, I guess it wouldn't matter. Like, do you feel like doing it that way? Are you looking at each song as a potential single when you're writing and putting out, or is it just like, this is a great song it's going to make the record and we'll put it out when it feels right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. I feel like I've always made records that way. Mm-hmm. Whereas I like to treat each song like it's a single. So that maybe the album, instead of reading like with one sound or one producer, it's got a whole lot of different producers, almost like it plays like a playlist. Mm-hmm. And the thing that, the thing that is consistent would be my, my voice and my writing, but the production is always kind of all over the place, which is why I called this album identity crisis. Okay. I feel like I, I do get asked that question. It's like, okay, describe your music in three words. And I think an identity crisis is a, those are the three words that I (laughs) to describe it. So when you start the record, you said you had about six songs and then the pandemic happens. And do you seek out a different producer on each song or like, tell me about putting the album together? Usually it's, you know, I do the, I do writing sessions mm-hmm. and these, and it's with a producer in the room. And um, a lot of times their demo will be really great. It'll be, you know, so all we have to do then is just kind of turn that demo into an album ready song. But I'm doing a lot of writing sessions with a lot of different producers. That's going to make a bunch of different songs that don't necessarily fit together sonically. Mm-hmm. But if you can get one person to mix everything, then that, that can help. Okay. That a lot. So definitely with this record, I've got, I've got four or five songs that were produced by a guy in Sweden. His name's Hampus Lindvall. He's, I just love working with him. I found him on Spotify. I was listening to Benjamin Grosso's cover of All Night Long by Lionel Richie. And it's just the, the production on it. It's just like so modern sounding. And I hadn't heard anything like it. I told my manager, I was like, I want to work with this producer for the next record. 
Wow. And then you guys just reached out to him and yeah, we just reached up- out to him and then we ended up, he ended up doing a, uh, probably about half the songs on this album. And, and was that like a could- zoom thing? Like, cause it was COVID or did you actually get a chance to go out there and work with him? You know, I got I, him here. I ended the tour in, uh, in Stockholm and he was in stock. So the end of the 2019 tour, actually, we did this really funny gig, uh, where we, it was on a boat, like a cruise ship. And we went from Turku in Finland to Stockholm. And it was a, it was a weird way to end the tour, but it was, it was fun. Um, but then in Stockholm, I got, I got to stay a, a few extra days and, and meet up with Hampus and we, we wrote two songs together that are on the album and, and he, you know, helped produce, produce a couple more wow okay and when when you were doing the rest of the the record was it done virtually at all or not yeah a lot, a lot of it was done virtually so he, how is like, that the, the new song you know he kind of nailed it i i think it people work differently but he's really good at just sitting down and making fleshing out a concept like the song in case you missed it i wrote that with my buddy my buddy chris and it was just guitar just a guitar lick and a vocal and we got, then Hampus turned it into, and by the, and what he sent back the first run was like, this is done. Like this sounds so great, like minor tweaks, but he's really an expert at just fleshing it out immediately. Mm-hmm. Would you work that way again? Or do you prefer in person? Uh, I, I don't, you know, it's going to, I, now that, now that this out, the new album is done, it's time to start thinking about the next one and maybe it's time to step away from the identity crisis and kind of work with one producer work with okay. one make that album that is just like it's kind of sonically the or not the same but you know lives in the same world gotcha amazing well i love the record so far what i've heard of it and uh congratulations like i said earlier billion streams like that's oh, just thank unreal you, thank you. to think about that um, and the tour, it sounds like it's going rad. Uh, the, the venues are playing. Is it hard to adjust to like those arena-ish settings? You know, I've done a lot of it in Europe. So okay. not as much just, here. Just as, yeah, no, I've certainly never done it over here, but it's actually but it's like kind of fun. S- switching it over. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> no, no, it, no it's, 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 it's interesting, you know, talking. Because in Europe, you never know how much English the audience really speaks. Like, it's not their first language. And you're in right. the Netherlands, everyone speaks English. But there's always something that can be a little lost in translation when you're telling, you know, the in-between song banter. And so it's fun mm-hmm. to do that on a big scale in the U.S. because it's, you know, they're Americans. Like, you can speak, you know, just like the way that German people probably want to, when they go travel around Europe, it's a lot easier when they're in Germany. Right, right, right. to the audience. So that's, that is, it's fun for me. That's awesome. Well, again, congratulations. And uh, the record's coming out next month. And thank you so much for taking time away from, you know, being busy and touring and everything else to, to chat with me. I really appreciate it. It was a great chat. Thank you. Yeah. I have one more quick question for you, Matt, before I let you go. Sure. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. It's a good question. You know, I, it's tough because I, I would say, I don't know the thing. I mean, obviously once you got to get, you got to put in your thousands of hours of practice, you got to play a bunch of gigs, got to play a bunch of shows. Um, but in, or, in terms of like marketing yourself, I would say find the thing that's no, that nobody's doing yet and do that. 
but it's kind of, that's tough, tough to say what that is. And I wouldn't know, you know, probably it's TikTok, but maybe because everyone's doing TikTok, that's too, it's already passed. Like it's already behind us. So what's, what's the next, like thinking ahead, looking forward, what's the next thing that's going to help you to stand out from the thousands and thousands of other young artists that, that, that want to do this career because well, what, with the internet, uh, it broke down all the barriers to entry, but on the other hand, it broke down all the barriers to entry so that everyone can do it in their basement. Mm-hmm.